You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. I'm here to talk to you about, I don't even know what initiative it is anymore, but with me, as he is always, John Mills. It's the money money making initiative by Ooh. this point. Oh, that's I like it. That's, yeah, that's mm-hmm. all that it is. It's it's the money making initiative. The uh, chaotic travels through Phase Four of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The to yeah. borrow from Homer Simpson as he talks about being the sugar baron, the. Uh, Dizzying highs and the terrifying <laughs> lows are all to be had here oh, as man. we explore the MCU. Well, uh, we are going to be talking about another Disney Plus show here in Phase 4, uh, which is Moon Knight, starring mm-hmm. none other than yeah. Oscar Isaac. Uh, before we get there, though, mm. thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. Uh, you know, you can get the entire 602 Club repertoire all of the shows here in the feed, if you just subscribe wherever you're listening to this. Uh, we would also really appreciate it if you would give us a star rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. In fact, right now, we're trying to give away a free Spider-Man Across the Universe poster. Uh, we need, as of this recording, 19 more reviews before we can do the drawing for that. So, enter, and uh, you could win. It is uh, it is for the U.S. store only, so... Please do that. Uh, and also, you got other places like Spotify and those pli- type of places where you can give star ratings and things. Uh, do that for us. It, it, you don't, it takes like three seconds to you know give us a five-star review. Um, you can also find us all over social media. We would love to interact with you at the 602 Club, or we would love to interact with you on Instagram at the 602 Club TFM. You can find the entire network online at trek.fm you can also find us on facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm there is a listeners only discussion group you can join that and talk to listeners from all over the world about all of the shows that we're doing here as well as helping us out on patreon at patreon.com slash trek.fm and making sure that all of your favorite shows here on the network can keep coming to you each and every week but john i'm very interested to know where you were coming into Moon Knight in the first place. Uh, Because I know that, you know, you're more familiar with the Marvel comics than I am. You kind of grew up reading a lot more of the Marvel comics than I did. And so as we come into Moon Knight, was this a character you were familiar with? And, you know, were you excited to to kind of see what they would do? Yeah, Moon Knight's a character I was excited to see them bring to screen. I knew that it was going to be different because just like Guardians of the Galaxy and various other characters, they've been reinvented over time. It's, you know, the the Brian Michael Bendis rebirth of Marvel as a whole had happened. And, uh, you know, he came back, he retooled and updated different things. It's how we get Miles Morales and all these other nifty incarnations of things. And so that era, I, I'm not saying that it's just Bendis. There was a, a 
trove of creators in the mix there. But his name is the one I most associate with that. So I knew that Moon Knight was going to be a more updated version than I grew with, grew up with. But I loved Moon Knight growing up. Uh, the the joke that a uh, uh, friend of the show, Craigula, has said is he referred to him as Egyptian Batman. And I was like, that is actually a great description for the basic level of Moon Knight that we encountered in the 1980s. Uh, I think it was uh, it was Werewolf by Night is actually where he made his first appearance or something like that. Um, and uh, yeah, it was Werewolf by Night was the was the first appearance and was in the 70s. And then he got his own series. Um, I think it started it, it was 1980 or something like that. So that would have been where I would have been familiar with him by raiding my brother's comic book stash because he had all of the Moon Knight titles. And um one of the creators on that, uh, Bill Sankovich, tremendously influential artist on my own personal style and aesthetic um, and what I like to look at in, in comics and everything, uh, you know, through time. So, you know, all that to say, yes, you're right. I was more familiar with the character as a whole. I was excited that there was going to be a Moon Knight show. I was legitimately excited that there would be this. Well, and that leads me to another question then. Just because of that familiarity and, and that excitement, what is it about the character that you ended up loving with the comics that you read? You know, I know you mentioned the fact that this is based off a newer interpretation of the character, but what is it that had yeah. helped you fall in love with this character back in the day? Honestly, character design. I Some people gravitate to comics for the stories. Some people gravitate for the art. Some people gravitate for both. Comic book reading for me when I was growing up was the first pass was paying very little attention to the words and going through and looking at the art. And if the if the art grabbed me, I would immediately become a dedicated fan. There was a great comic book, uh, well, it was great for a little while, called The Nom that came out in the 80s. Uh, that's one of those rare ones that grabbed me both with art and story because it was actually somebody who had uh, you know first person recollection of being in Vietnam during the conflict, and the art was very comic book, but incredibly well. I forget the artist's name. Uh, he did the the infamous Marvel Star Wars comic that was a stand in when they had to delay the Empire Strikes Back adaptation. Uh, I forget his name, but he did, it was called Writers on the Void. Uh, was the name of that comic? If you want to. Go back and look at that. And I'm rambling at this point, but basically it was character design. And that is, and then from there, you know, I, it, it was an interesting story. I mean, you know, again, the joke being Egyptian Batman, it's like, I love Batman. Who doesn't love Batman? And it's like, oh, look, here's Batman with an even cooler costume. And he has certain rules that he has to follow. And it's, you know, it, it's supernatural in nature and stuff like that. It's like, okay, go on. I'm paying attention. And so that's, that's really what got me hooked with the character back then. Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's really cool. And for myself, you know, I know absolutely nothing about this character. So other than the name, right? You know, I, I come in at the complete opposite end of the spectrum, which is, I think, a really interesting thing uh, and a place for both of us to be as we kind of look back at this show. Uh, because, you know, uh, one of the things that any comic book medium has to do these days on film or, you know, on the small screen uh, with uh, TV shows, is you have to be able to appeal to people who don't know anything about the character 
and be able to bring them into the world and make them want to see more. And so I, I think that puts us in the interesting ends of the spectrum. And so uh, one of the biggest things about this character, of course, and, and this interpretation of the character is the fact that we have multiple personality disorder happening here. Uh, and uh, so I, I wanted to ask you how you feel like this show works that in and how that progresses. Because from the first episode onward, we are really treated to this, you know, back and forth between Steven and Mark and trying to figure out what's going on especially as we're getting it from Steven's perspective and uh, and the possibility that something else is going on that neither of them understands. Uh, and so how, how do you feel like this does with, I, I would say, you know, a, a rather sensitive subject, the idea of, you know, multiple personality disorder? I think it does it well. I, it starts off very well. Because it makes it very interesting. I like the 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 touch that they have, where he he sort of starts blacking out, and then we it flashes, and and the 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 pace of the film like changes and stuff like that. You get this sense of disorientation. Is he being possessed by something? Is he two different spirits living inside the same body? I thought that was a very interesting thread that they started with. It doesn't necessarily play out as well as I wish it had, mainly because it seems to become a uh, crutch and a cheat for them to use later on in the story um, to get around explaining things or showing how things happen. Because more than once as the show progresses, they're like, oh, we're kind of written in a corner uh, let's, let's do the thing. And then he wakes up and we just tell everybody he can't remember and we'll just keep moving. And it, it, it does come off then at the end of it, as they started down this road and then they couldn't decide how to resolve it. And so while I enjoyed it at the get go, it, it, since it doesn't, it doesn't play to a satisfying conclusion in terms of how they use that. Uh, I wind up saying instead that it, you know, it, it feels, it winds up feeling like a little bit of a cheat. The way that they do it, it feels too much plot devicey rather than uh, character moment. It's such an interesting thing for me because, you know, coming into this, uh, not really knowing anything about the character and just giving being given this right you know and and trying to digest it especially the first time um and and even coming into it the second time even though i know the story i still found the character of stephen grant to be so utterly annoying to me at the beginning of the series and i'm sure that's probably on purpose but it was very difficult because I still find him super obnoxious uh, until, you know, the end of the series where, you know, we, we, he's he's kind of come into his own and him and Mark are copacetic and, and he's not obnoxious. I just and I don't know. Um, 
I don't, I, I don't know if it's something to which uh, is, I mean, it's probably very close to the comic it's based off of and, and everything like that as this character is trying to figure out what's going on. Um, but I really have a hard time with the beginning of the show uh, because of that. Um, you know, once we start to get the answers, especially once we get the full answer as to how Steven actually exists in the first place, that Mark is actually the real person and Steven is, is his creation to keep him safe uh, and to give him um, a quote-unquote normal existence, I think is is fascinating. I think that becomes much more interesting. It's the beginning of the show where I really struggle with, uh, for me personally, just watching this this character and and i think it's pro again i i'm sure that it, this is on purpose but i think that in some ways they almost do it too well because i even again i had a very difficult time at the beginning of this show like actually just even watching it because i i just the character is so frustrating i, I don't i yeah i find it interesting i i hear what you're saying uh, this this plays a little bit to me like how uh, I know that you don't like you find C-3PO annoying in the original trilogy. And I'm like, bro, what are you talking about? He's funny. Uh, so that that comes down to a taste thing. And like, I, I want to be clear that what I'm talking about, the stuff that's not successful, that feels too plot devicey is the fact that when they're backed into a corner, they push that button so that they can fast forward past it. I'm not yes. talking about any uh, of the, no, the I like because there is interesting character stuff that they do with it. I think what you're talking about most likely could have been resolved by something that I felt was apparent through the entire thing, which is something that you and I have wrestled a little bit with as we've been talking on aggressive negotiations about the Obi-Wan series, the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. Um this is a movie's worth of material stretched out over too many episodes. Yes. Yes. Thank you. I, I, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I absolutely do think that that is the case here. Um, and I, I think, you know, we, we've talked in this show specifically about other series that they've had as a Disney Plus series where, yes, did it work well? We just, uh, you know, we discussed Hawkeye and we both, I think, felt that that worked well as a series. You know, you could use some tightening up here and there, yada, yada, yada. Is it, uh, most every show probably could. Um, but it felt like it it had earned the right to actually be a series. Um, you know, we, we talked about, though, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, where we felt like if you had turned this into a film, a two-and-a-half-hour film, we both felt like it would have worked better. Um, you know, Loki, it felt like we were on the fence. It could have been maybe a movie, but in the end, it kind of... Also seemed like maybe just some tightening would have actually helped. Maybe four episodes instead of, I think, six or whatever. But I, I, think, th I think this is absolutely one where you nailed it. I, I feel that this should just be a, a movie. Which involves cutting some characters down out of this, too. It gets a little too muddled uh, with, with everybody's arcs and everything. And additionally, I think that Maybe that's it. Maybe we put our finger on it this time. We know that when Disney Plus was being developed and being announced, that Chapek makes the decision. I think Iger had something to do with the decision, too. That's it. We're in the streaming business now. I'm willing to bet Moon Knight 
is I think a lot of projects we've seen come out as series were things that were in development as films. And they said, no, 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 we've got the streaming thing coming up. I love the script, add to it and stretch it out. And the thing is, you can't do that. You know, like when you break the story, I think this even works as a series. I will go against myself too. I think this could kind of work as a series if it was three or four episodes. It's the number of episodes where it just, it begins to feel tedious and stretched out and there are too many things inserted. And it does, there's this weird variation of, uh, you know, what I, I affectionately call the, the, the Batman Returns syndrome, which didn't really start with Batman Returns, but kind of started with Lethal Weapon 2. It's, it, it's a variation instead of a too many villains confrontation at the end. There's like a too many heroes confrontation at the end. It, it, like it's when Oscar Isaac and Ethan Hawke, two of the best actors working in modern day cinema, two of the most gifted. I, I hate, I'm sorry for using the word best. I know that's a, you know, I think two of the most gifted actors working in cinema today especially Ethan Hawke. I love Ethan Hawke. The guy is a fearless, dedicated, incredible actor. He is undervalued as an actor uh, in, in my estimation. People know his name, but not he's not, he's not uh, achieved the level of stardom that I would want somebody to achieve who has his, his level of talent. When... Hawk and Isaac are on screen together and you got these two people working. It's insane how well it works. It is absolutely insane how well it works. And it makes it frustrating when they start adding more things and people in reducing their opportunity to interact. This is a, this is a um, like a Heath Ledger, Christian Bale, or a um, when you finally get uh, uh, Pacino and De Niro together sort of moment where it's like, I want as much time just focused on these two as possible because their conflict is fascinating. And the way that these actors play it is fascinating. And then they they just bolt on these other things that just feel so unnecessary, including other characters. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a great question too, you know, with you bringing that up. Um, what are the, what are the characters that work for you here alongside those two? Uh, and you know, what, what are the ones that just didn't end up working for you? I mean, obviously um, I think Oscar Isaac does a great job. I think Ethan Hawke does a great job. I could have done without certain... I, look, the thing is, it's not the fault of the actors when, it, when, I'm, when I'm talking about these things, right? I, I want that to be extremely clear, is that I'm never going after the actors or the actresses 
because they're doing their job and it's not even necessarily their performance that, um, you know, sort of like drags it. It's, you know, because when you have all of these things going on and you have, uh, you know, I, I think her name is, um, yeah, May Kalamawi. Is that her name? Layla? This is, this is again, to get back to the Batman Returns thing, right? If you look at Batman Returns and you break it down, if you had just Penguin and Batman, that's an incredible movie. If you had just Catwoman and Batman, that's an incredible movie. You put Penguin and Catwoman in the same movie, and the movie starts to lose its focus. And I think that's what's going on here, is like Layla... doesn't drive the story the way that I think they intended her to. And I think that they get to the end and they turn them into a crime fighting duo and it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel, it just doesn't feel it right to me. Um, I think that they, I think that um, I go back and forth on Kanshu, whether I need to see him. Um, it's interesting, but it, is it more interesting just as a voice until the end to have an, oh my gosh, you're real sort of moment. Like if, 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 um, if Oscar Isaac, you know, if Mark and Steven also have Kanshu talking to them, you have a character sitting there saying, wait, is that, is this just another voice in my head? You know, that, that sort of thing. Um, I think that, um, I mean, those are really the core characters, aren't they? You know, I mean, it's like, so it, I'm not dragging any of the performances. I just think that the, the script doesn't mesh them well enough. Yeah. I, I think I agree with what you're saying and I don't think that any of them needs to be excised, but what I find is that I think that, um, because, of what we're talking about a few minutes ago about this should have been a film. I think that if you had put them as put this together as a film, everything would be given the right amount of time, right? Because you only have two and a half hours, you know, and therefore you have to be very judicious with the amount of time, any characters on screen and they have to be serving the plot to have them on screen. And so, you know, I think all the characters as they're here are obviously important to the story as the way that they're telling it. I think it becomes more about the way in which it's presented and that many times it just feels like there's a way to get to a place faster than the scripts allow us to because we need to fill up six episodes at, and each of these episodes is a around 50 minutes too long and so you know uh, exactly and so you know i i think there's there's something to be said here for just even with six episodes which i'm glad they weren't trying to stretch this to like nine um i i think it, it still feels like too many you know at most you you could have done this as a four episode arc and i think it would have been much more successful because again you're you're having to figure out okay what are the most important parts of the story here and re- 
what's driving this? Obviously, the most important parts of this story are Stephen and Mark trying to figure out what the heck is going on with their life and then trying to stop, um, you know, our our main villain here. uh, And that's it. The rest of everything is just side, right? You know, and, and supposed to support that. And so um, I think that becomes an issue. I also, I, I do want to ask you this question because this is something to which I feel like has been an issue with phase four so far. It seems as though we're just starting to throw everything in the kitchen sink into Marvel instead of it having work into an overarching plan. Yes. And the reason I say that is, you know, because first two phases, first three phases, for the most part, every character that we're introducing has a point to the end of the story that we're going for in Endgame. But in all honesty, one, as we're moving through phase four, I'm beginning to ask myself, especially, and I would, I mean, especially with this show. Why are we introducing this character and what does it have to do with anything that we've been doing already? Yes, yes, and yes. Because even though I might not have enjoyed Phase 4 a whole lot, at the very least, there seems to be an effort on on some of the pro- – like Falcon and Winter Soldier, WandaVision, Spider-Man No Way Home – very clearly dealing with the aftermath of what happened in phase three and Eternals arguably is dealing with that by kind of not really doing anything successfully well, but outside of that, like they at least address it. Like the, the overall theme of phase four up to this point has been, what does this universe look like now that Endgame has happened? Now that people have gone through this shared trauma of the snap, have gone through all the, all of these sorts of things, Moon Knight doesn't address any of that. Moon Knight seems to exist in its own little world to the point where by the time we get to the end, it feels a bit like Wonder Woman 1984, where I'm wondering, is this still rooted in the same cinematic universe I was participating in? Like, I, I, you, you had my buy-in, am I still doing that game? Are we still playing this, or are we through with that now? No, I think that's a that's an excellent point, and and I think the problem is is that you know this is also the first show where we're on Disney Plus, and yet we're trying to be darker and a, I would say a lot grittier, uh, and you know with our fight scenes, even with the, of course the very beginning of the show where he's pouring glass into his shoes and which is brilliant. I thought know, that was brilliant. And, 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 I, was, yeah, I was immediately interested. Which, What's going on you know, with this we're, guy? Which were you know, and in many ways, I, it, it feels like what they're trying to do is mimic the shows that we had on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And yet, the problem I, again just becomes is that you know. We have been trained that everything in the MCU matters for the whole, and I can't figure out how this relates to the whole at all, 
because it doesn't seem to care about anything else other than itself, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Whereas I think we would both say that the Guardians movies had done a great job of being their own thing, and yet at the same time doing enough that made you feel like they were a part Mm -hmm. of the universe that you're in. And this just feels like this would have been great if you had just been like, yeah, this is a, a you know an alternate universe you know thing that may or may not ever have anything to do with anything else. We just think it's a cool story, and uh, you know it's worth doing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's the thing that I, I just I was really struck by with this show because I also feel like that. The beginning of the series, it really wants to be grounded and gritty and like darker and moodier. And by the end of the series, it's completely lost all that. And it, it's it's a show that tonally doesn't know what it wants to be because it's trying to have its cake and eat it too by being dark. But at the same time, by the end, feeling like, you know goofy comic book movie uh i you know yes i i think they i think by the end they're the resolution of it uh because i sent you a message while i was watching it which you know if you know you know um i sent uh a y f k m because the ending of it felt like a 1990s comic book ending oh we've got the two giant gods fighting and the the purplish blue laser beams flying everywhere and the impossible enhanced acrobatics and the this and the that and it's like to have a series that so obviously had such an interesting um you know character driven conflict at its core at like by the end of this, as you're you're adequately pointing to, my question is not even not even in terms of the Marvel Cinematic Universe as a whole, but I'll I'll reflect the question back to you. On the whole, what was the point of this show? Did it say anything about heroism? Did it say anything about sacrifice? Did it say anything about Anything other than these are neat ideas. What what was the reason for this series other than to make a series? And I think that anybody would be hard-pressed to watch it and say, oh, I know the answer. Now, see, Loki, that very much seems like it's a very whimsical thing, but it does have some some undercurrents. You know, the the, the anti-hero lessons, the... Uh, the the questions about motivation and duality, the questions about uh, you know doing evil in the face of of good and good being evil because it's pursuing its ends through the wrong means, sort of thing. So there's some interesting stuff going on there, and Moon Knight seems to want to get to it because there is that question, uh, you know, with Ahmet and you know Ahmet's followers. Oh well, we're judging them based on what they are going to do in the future. We're pulling up the weeds from the garden. And so we're left with a series that seems to have been wanting to ask the question, 
when when does an action become evil uh, if it's in the name of a greater good? Which is an interesting question to ask. How far can you go before it's too far? And it it toys with the idea, and I think Ethan Hawke thought that was the idea, but it doesn't deliver. It doesn't stick that landing. Yeah, I mean, I, I like that you bring up the, you know the philosophical questions here because uh, you know the difference between Kanchu and Amit is that Kanchu only judges those who have already done these horrendous actions and basically deserve death, the death penalty. And Amit judges people before they've done the actions, so they don't have the ability to do them. And the biggest issue with that is that. Then what you're saying, at least what Amit's saying, and we never deal with this idea, is that the fact that can't somebody change? Isn't that kind of what the MCU has been all about? Is when you have a character like Tony Stark who goes from being a raving narcissist to be being somebody who's willing to give up his, his life and his wife and his child for the galaxy and the universe at large? I mean, that's the the, the biggest story of redemption in this whole saga, right? And so, but if you had judged Tony Stark beforehand, you know, wouldn't... The, the problem is, is that it really doesn't deal with the biggest questions here, which is that what Amit's saying is that everything is predestined and nobody can change, right? Um, and that... Um, and Tony Stark then in in her worldview would be somebody who is always going to do that and therefore would be able to be judged, I guess, a good person, you know. Um, so I think the problem is, is, is that like we've kind of called out on this this series before, you know, we also do Snyder cuts. This show specifically is asking really huge questions that it doesn't actually want to deal with at all. Mm -hmm. And whereas, you know, you get all of some serious, serious questions in like the Snyder films, um, all of them, not just his DC work. Right. And it it's willing to, to plumb the depths. And I think that's the problem here is that we're not willing to plumb the depths of the type of question that we've raised. Mm -hmm. And then we kind of just abandon it at the end for spectacle. And. It doesn't all seem to fit together because you do have this wonderful moment of, you know, Mark and Steven being able to come together, mm -hmm. right? And yet that doesn't even quite seem to fit with everything that we're going through and the questions that we're asking. And I, I don't know. I, I, I think the the problem is, is that I it, it feels just kind of like a muddied mess when it comes to the actual thematic elements of the series that you've, I think, rightly pinpointed. I, it's just such a shame. And I, I think that, you know, what you're saying comes to a head when Mark makes the decision not to kill, and I, I, I apologize, the, um, Arthur, Arthur Harrow, makes the decision not to kill Arthur, played by Ethan Hawke. It, is suddenly Layla's like, no, you don't have to do it. And he's like, yeah, you do it. And it's more about the fact that he just doesn't want Khonshu to manipulate him. It has nothing to do with him proving that 
I don't have to do this thing because it's not the right thing to do. And even impart that lesson to Arthur and say, you would have seen this moment and said, I had no choice, but I do. And I'm choosing. Now, and so you leave with that question as well, though. It's like, well, would he have seen the evil? Like there, there's never any, any moment where Arthur is taught the lesson that uh, Ahmet's vision is not perfect. That it is, in fact, imperfect. And it maybe is kind of hinted at when she says, oh, your scales are not balanced, but I'm going to use you anyway. But there's no real moment of him coming to the realization of saying, wait a minute, she doesn't actually care. She's not just pulling the weeds. She's going to take up some flowers, too, because sometimes you got, you know, like that, that sort of thing. And have his, have his faith shook. Um, so, you know, that, I think that's a missed opportunity. And then since we're, we're on the ending again, just to go back, like there's so many different points of, they couldn't, it really feels like they couldn't decide is Mark is, is the truly climactic thing. Mark deciding not to kill him, but not teaching a lesson. Is it that they figure out the secret spell that gets rid of, uh, Ahmet? Is it that they, defeat uh Arthur because um Stephen's heart is too good but his heart isn't too good because he blacks out and this mystery third personality takes over and kills everyone so that's not really awesome like you know it's I don't know I, I I'm sorry to double back to talk about the ending again but I, I think that ties into it where it's like it, it, it is. It's just this big mishmash of things put together. And probably if it had been a film, that still wouldn't have resolved itself, but it would have been done a lot faster and I probably would have been more forgiving. Right. Well, and and I do – there's something that still uh, – the second time watching through this series just drives me up a wall. And it's the stupidity of the way in which they give, get rid of Conchu in the middle of the series. There is no reason whatsoever on any universe, any universe, that we have to have him turn back the sky when you can have an app for that. <laughs> There's an app for that that shows you what the night sky looked like thousands of years <laughs> ago because it's just math. And so the fact that these programs existed and that we're going to use this as the reason that we're going to get rid of this character who can help us throughout the rest of the series just is infuriatingly maddening to me. It's it's writing that's just stupid. Um, and that bothers me when there's something so dumb in a series because you could go find that online. Literally, you could just go look it up on your phone. What does the night sky look like, you know, in AD 63? You know, I mean, BC, whatever. It's just stupid. And I, I think that kind of the thing that we've been getting at this whole time is that the script itself for this series, one, seems so stretched out, but two, to not really have nailed down what the important elements are in the story as in character themes 
and then overall thematic elements and how are we finding a way to make that tight and clear throughout the entire mm-hmm. thing and i th- i'm you know i was listening to an interview with james gunn on a podcast and he was talking about that he doesn't believe that there is such a thing as superhero fatigue but he said that he thinks that we're getting to the point of like people just getting tired of the same thing over and over yes. again. And I think that he's right because Moon Knight, like you said, is full of issues that we saw in films back in the 90s. I mean, we talked about Batman Forever here to, uh, together in the 602 Club and Batman and Robin. And, you know, we've talked about some of these 90s films that just had some serious issues to them. And this series seems to have learned none of the lessons that it should have. And especially when we have talked about some of the films here, the MCU, which have really done such a good job of tracking character development and uh, the, um, the thematic elements. I think of the Guardians films. I think of the Captain America films. All three of those Mm -hmm. play very well together. Um, You know, whether I like Iron Man 2 or not, the Iron Man 1, 2, and 3 create a very interesting arc for Tony Stark that then, of course, gets wrapped up in Endgame, you know. Uh, And so, like, you think of the way in which we've been following these characters, and this TV show is basically three movies in one, and it just can't seem to find its way to adequately portray the arcs that we would want in a way that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. Completely agree. And I think it's a shame because I think that the, the, the core of this, like you said, if they were forced to be more disciplined, sometimes, sometimes giving real constraint to a creative team makes them shine. They don't have six episodes. You don't have six episodes. You got two hours. You got to tell this in two hours. Well, I have a big story to tell. Well, you better think of like a really creative way to tell it. And I think that, I, I again, you know, I mean, it's it's frustrating because it feels like, um, it feels like I'm being dismissive. I know that a lot of creative people and a lot of talented people worked on this show. I, I I just don't think that it, it gels. Whose feet do you lay that at? Do you lay it at, at Marvel's feet for forcing them to make a six-episode series when this should have been a movie? Do you lay it at the feet of the limitations of the volume that are becoming more apparent um, with this? This filmed in the volume, didn't it? I would think so because, I, and I'm glad you brought that up because I do think another problem with this is is the effects in here look pretty terrible. Um, I, I won't go so far as to say terrible. I will go so far as to say unfinished. It, it looks rushed. It looks... Um, it looks honestly the way that Marvel as a whole has seen its effects work become more reflective of the the attitude that I jokingly refer to the Disney execs having of 
F it, you're going to watch it anyway. I exempt a few of the the franchises. I thought the the effects in No Way Home were were great on the whole. I thought that um, uh, you know I, I've always been pleased with what James Gunn does. I think he has a really good eye for effects and getting them right. I I think that the the push for content and the tight production schedules and the the need to feed the content monster leads to results like the Moon Knight character being CG in certain shots when he doesn't need to be. And I can tell it's CG. And the backgrounds not lining up with their perspectives properly or the lighting not working quite as well as they would think. And there's not enough depth on that background at times. Those sorts of things I really think are just a a function of you have until Tuesday and you're going to deliver it on Tuesday. And as good as it is on Tuesday is how we're going to release it. And that's it. And we're going to keep moving because you got another project to work on. Yeah, I think that's a great point in the sense that what we see here is too much content coming out. And I think that's one of the biggest issues that I have with this this series as a whole even existing is the fact that this seems like content for content's sake. Mm-hmm. Because I can't see how this matters to the rest of what we're doing. And it's not a problem if that's the case. But the problem is, is that the MCU has taught me to only ask that question. How does this play into the rest of the whole? Mm-hmm. Right. And this doesn't seem to have an answer to that question. And what's most unfortunate is I should be able to come into an entertainment and not have that question on my head and say, I just want to come and enjoy this. And unfortunately, because of what they've trained me to expect, I find myself, like you just said, having trouble coming at it and just judging it on its own merit completely and not also add in, but where does it go overall? And then when it doesn't go anywhere overall, then it seems to be a failure when in fact it, maybe it's a, a success of the creative team to come in and do exactly what we've always wanted them to do, which is to do something new and original without feeling obligated to tie it into something else, to just tell a story. that That's exactly what we all want, right? Just tell me a good story. And I think that, um, yeah, it just winds up – it. It's weird. Maybe Moon Knight is is that sort of perfect symptom of the hole that Marvel has dug itself into, where it set a certain type of expectation. And then as with Eternals and Moon Knight now, it's tried to subvert that expectation. And that is working against it specifically because... We're both sitting here. We keep coming back. Where does it fit? Where does it fit? And the only reason I'm asking that is because they taught me that I should watch everything saying, where does it fit? Where does it fit? Well, and I think to me, the thing that frustrates me the most is that, again, Disney has done Oscar Isaac dirty by not giving him Mm -hmm. what he deserves as an actor. I mean, come on. The guy, if you've seen... (laughs) 
uh, Ex Machina with him. Yeah, Ex Machina, he's great. And um, so The Most good. Violent Year. Yeah. He's phenomenal so in The Most Violent yeah. Year. I mean, he's an incredible right, actor. Like, and he makes the most of everything you give him. Stunningly good. Mm-hmm. It's, he's great in the show. Yeah. He's great. He and Ethan Hawke, again, are magnificent in what they're doing. They showed up and they knew what their mission statement was for these characters and what they were going to do. And they make incredibly good choices, incredibly successful choices. And it's just the material. I mean, let, let, let's go with another. Unfortunately, it is Disney property, but like the sequel trilogy, nothing that happens there is Oscar Isaac's fault. In fact, I'd say that he brings Poe to life. I believe that Poe exists as a person. Poe Dameron is a dude, and I, I'm fully on board with. I'd even watch more stories if you if you said there's going to be a Poe Dameron series. As much as I have ambivalent feelings about the sequel trilogy, I would say, okay, I'll give that a shot. I'll try it out. Sure, okay, but yeah. Yeah, this is just another vehicle. I maybe, maybe Oscar Isaac spends time here with Ethan Hawke, and they both come to the realization. Ethan Hawke comes to the realization that no matter what he was going to do, it was never going to. He was never going to bring. He was never going to be able to infuse into the Disney sensibility what he hoped to bring with his approach to things. And Oscar Isaac will see that and say, you know what? Maybe I will just follow your lead and go make things like Gattaca and the Before Trilogy and all of these other things that you're you're known for that are great that you just don't care whether they make bank. Yeah. You're just going to go out there and make art. I mean, he should. Uh, he's that kind of yes. actor. Now, I'm yeah. interested then with all of the discussion we've had of where you are going to land with a rating for Moon Knight. Ugh. I It will wind up being more generous than people might think after listening to me, specifically because uh, what I will call it, because there are elements that are so intriguing and, and the bones here at certain things are intriguing and um, the villain is so intriguing and, and the Mark Steven thing is so interesting it actually, for all of the complaining I just did over the last nearly hour, it winds up walking away relatively unscathed with a two and a half. It's an interesting failure. Sort of sort of the way I, I wind up feeling about David Lynch's Dune, where I'm like, I don't like really what's happening here, but there's some really interesting stuff happening. It doesn't come together. I can't ever call it good, but at the same time, I can't just outright dismiss the thing. So I wound up giving it a two and a half. What about you? I'm actually at the same exact place. Uh, You know, I think this is half an interesting show. Um, Half of it's good. uh, And I think the other half of it's actually kind of terrible. And the problem is you put those two together and it's, it's very frustrating then just watching it, especially having seen this before. I just found myself... I don't know if it's more frustrated, but similarly frustrated as I was the first time, which is never a good place to be, right? I, I, I was hoping that I would come into this and maybe something would stand out to me in a different way, and it just didn't. And so, yeah, two and a half, but um, 
That means uh, I can't wait to see then where this falls in your rankings of the MCU. There is an extra thing that's going to happen with this ranking that's going to shock so many people, too. Because by fiat, I shall decree that where this winds up being placed on the list winds up making me go back and revise a rating for a movie which had a lower star rating before. I know. I know. It's so weird. I can't wait now. Um, All right. So here we go with the list. Captain America, the Winter Soldier, Iron Man 3, Spider-Man No Way Home, Ant-Man, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, Iron Man, Avengers Infinity War, Black Panther, Guardians of the Galaxy, Hawkeye, Doctor Strange, Loki, Civil War, Captain America, the First Avenger, Ant-Man, and the Wasp, The Incredible Hulk, Avengers Infinity War, Thor, Shang-Chi, Spider-Man Homecoming, Avengers... Howard the Duck gets bumped up to two and a half. Wow. Because likewise, okay. A, okay. an interesting failure goes from two to two and a half because I realized that weighing different factors, including rating and rewatchability, after Howard the Duck appears Moon Knight. Because again, I can't call it good, but there's some interesting stuff failing here that makes me come back and like would I rewatch Moon Knight. Yeah, I probably would rewatch bits and pieces of it. If it was on, I'd, I'd be like, yeah, okay. Eh, you know. And then after that is uh, WandaVision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Spider-Man Far From Home, Thor, The Dark World, Iron Man 2, Thor Ragnarok, Avengers Age of Ultron, Black Widow, Captain Marvel, and eternally at the bottom, Eternals. All right, so... Captain America, The Winter Soldier, Iron Man, Iron Man 3, No Way Home, Endgame, Civil War, The First Avenger, Black Panther, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, Ant-Man, Hawkeye, What If, Doctor Strange, Shang-Chi, The Incredible Hulk, which is now on Disney+, Plus, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, Spider-Man Homecoming, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Loki, Avengers, Spider-Man Far From Home, Infinity War, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Thor The Dark World, Iron Man 2, Thor, Howard the Duck, then Moon Knight, Black Widow, Age of Ultron, Captain Marvel, WandaVision, Ragnarok, and of course, because it's Eternals, the bottom Eternals. You know, it's so interesting that we wind up putting Howard the Duck and Moon Knight next to each other. Maybe Leah Thompson has something to do with it. I don't know, but... Now, now, hey, I, I'm just saying, like, it's it's interesting how we both look at them and we're like, these are both interesting failures, but the key word being interesting. Because we recognize somebody was trying yeah. at the very least. Well, and I'm just more likely to watch <laughs> Howard the Duck... <laughs> again than i am ever to watch moon knight again <laughs> yeah but they're still right next to each other it's true is what i'm it's saying true. you know so i'm just saying i'm just saying it's interesting it is very interesting john and if people wanted to talk to you about interesting things where would they find you oh they can find me being uninteresting online it's kessel junkie uh look for me on letterboxd i also lurk on twitter because it's the 
the drug I cannot quit for some reason. And uh, you can find me over on the Nerd Party Network co-hosting two shows, one called House Lights, where we look at the work of directors, and a show called Aggressive Negotiations that I co-host with you, Matthew Rushing. Well, I hope people will check that out. It's so much fun. Uh, you can find me all over social media under the name Matt Rushing 2 uh, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and Vera are the places I am most active. Of course, I'm here on the network inside the 602 Club talking about all of the fandoms we love, as well as outside of that on literary tracks about the books and the comics of Star Trek. The Orb, we're going through the 30th anniversary rewatch of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Orb 5, the 20th anniversary rewatch of Star Trek Enterprise. The Artificial Tango about Star Trek Picard and Saddle Up. It's about to be back next week as we're recording this because Strange New World Season 2 has just started. And then over on the Nerd Party Network, you'll find me on Outpost with Drea Kaufman as we talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. But thank you so much for joining us. Avengers? Avengers?